All right, good morning. It's a dark, hi. Um, so how many of you have ever done Financial Peace University? A handful of you. And uh, I just want to start off and just tell you, um, if you are broke and in debt, this is for you. Now, a bunch of you are like, amen. If you um, have never been taught how to put together a budget, or you don't know how to teach someone else to put together a budget, this is for you. If you have a ton of money and you aimlessly and frivolously spend your money, <laughs> this is for you. If you're an American living somewhere like right now with a job and income or not, like this is genuinely for you. And so we um, had a couple in our first service. Um, this past week, they were at Dave Ramsey's conference and they had paid off $60,000 of debt in three years. And uh, Dave Ramsey brought them up and it was a really cool experience. And so we have seen like, hand, like firsthand um, what happens when people can get out of debt and learn to give generously. And so debt is dumb. Can I get an amen on that one? Amen. And so one of our desires is to help you not buy into the American lie that more is better and to go in debt for it. Um, so that we can actually build our life on biblical principles. So that being said, I want to invite you to sign up for that. You can sign up in the foyer, connect desk, and your um, connect slip, any of the above. I want to encourage you to do that. I want to take a minute, and I want to pray, and we're going to prepare our hearts before we open up God's word. Let's pray together. Um, so Father, first, um, I just want to come before you and say um, thank you for giving us your first and your best in Jesus. I wanna thank you that you are the model of generosity. Lord, any act of generosity on our part literally pales in comparison to what you have done for your church. And uh, so I just wanna come before you <clears throat> on behalf of every follower of Jesus in this room and say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Lord, you have not just given us eternal life, but yourself, your Holy Spirit, forgiveness, peace, joy. The list just goes on and on and on of what you have generously given to us through faith in Jesus. And so, um, Lord, I know that as we um, talk about money this morning, uh, for some people they come and they've just had really hard experiences. It's been a very challenging um, past that they've had. Some pastors have really hurt them. Some sermons have really um, wounded them and people have taken advantage of them. But God, um, our desire is that you would heal the past and that through just clear teaching from scripture that you would form our minds around truth and that you would give us hearts that love that truth and then the ability to apply it. And so God, we come before you, you're the king of hearts, you control that arena. And so Lord, we just wanna to come to you and say, um, we are idolaters, we confess that, but Lord, we don't want to be. Um, we really want to invite you to do what you need to do inside of us. And so this morning, um, as we open up your word, um, our simple ask for those of us who are followers in Jesus is we say, just do what you need to do. Um, Lord, we want to, but sometimes we don't have the want to want. And so God, we just invite you to help us in that area. And Lord, for those who are not believers in Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would just so powerfully impress on their minds and their hearts that we don't want their money. We want them to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, through faith alone. So Lord, I pray that that would just be so clear. Um, and Lord, anywhere where I'm not clear, would you just help us know what is truth from your word? So we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So again, I know for some of you, you're like, oh man, I'm visiting Village Church. The guy's talking about money. Um, my actual hope for you is that if you're not a Christian, like this would be the message that you get saved in. So your story would be like, man, I went to a church. They talked about money and I trusted in Jesus. I think that would be, I think, hilarious. But we know, like I'm very aware, I get to hear this. Like some of you come from really crazy churches and really crazy backgrounds. Um, some of you, um, because you know that I'm a pastor, um, you've only had experiences with pastors 
others who guilt you for your money, manipulate you, um, and who have put pressure on you unnecessarily. And I just wanna put it on the front end. Um, I'm a regular dude, I don't wanna guilt you. Um, I have no desire to manipulate you. I truly just want to spend this morning um, teaching you and encouraging you, and um, I wanna leave um, the Holy Spirit in you when you leave here to do whatever work he has to do in your heart. Um, but here's what I do know is that money is hard for a lot of people, and uh, we want to make this, honestly, a great experience for you because, honestly, if somebody opens up God's word and teaches from it, it is life-giving every, every single time. So to help this, there, there's gonna be a number of questions that you guys have. I cannot answer all those questions. So on our Q&A podcast, starting tomorrow for the next seven days, we're gonna be answering the most common questions that we get on tithing and generosity. So I'll read these for you so you can kind of know what's coming up in the Q&A podcast. Tomorrow will be, why should I give my money, <laughs> emphasis my, to my local church? Um, sometimes I don't have enough left over each month to give, what should I do? I don't want to give to my local church, what should I do? <clears throat> don't say amen to that. Some of you are like, yes, I feel, what are you gonna say, pastor? I'm in debt. Should I still give to the church even though every dollar I give prolongs my debt? Is it okay to give my time rather than my money? What if I committed to give to my local church, but I am behind? Anyone else ever been in a tithing debt? You know, you're like, I'm gonna do it, and then you forget, and you're like, oh, I owe the church X amount of money. Like, what do you do when you're in that circumstance? By the way, you don't make that commitment to us. That's usually something you and God do, and then, okay, good. Is tithing to a non-church Christian organization, also called a parachurch, or a non-Christian organization actually a tithe? So if you've ever asked any of those questions, the next seven days, I think are gonna be really helpful for you. And if you have more questions, you can just turn those in, we'll go at them. And what we wanna do is help you understand what God's word says about this as clearly as possible. And, and just to launch this off, I wanna share with you one principle that if you can get this, it will help you um, hear me clearly throughout this entire sermon. And the principle is this, God does not need your money. Somebody say amen. God does not need your money. God is not a health and wealth preacher who gets richer because you get more generous, okay? God owns the whole world. God can fund anything, anytime that he wants. He controls the hearts of all humanity. He can move one billionaire to donate all of his money to churches all over America if he wanted to do that. God does not need your money. Number two, God does not need you to give the church your money. Okay, God will accomplish his purposes in the church with or without money. In fact, internationally and historically, the church has been at her best in poverty and in persecution. So you need to just look over the, over the span of history and say this, um, if you choose not to give, right, um, to any local church or to any ministry whatsoever, will God still build his church? And the answer is yes. And if every Christian goes stingy and says, no, it's mine, will God still build his local church? And the answer is absolutely. People are gonna get saved no matter what. Uh, so from a God perspective, like God is not sitting here manipulating you and like he's just trying to get something from you because he's broke and he needs some help. And, 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 and churches, by the way, um, any good pastor like who understands the Bible and money should understand that we don't um, manipulate through guilt to get money, right? That's just not how it works. The mission of Village Church will go on whether or not you choose to give or not. If you choose not to give, God will move someone's heart to do it because God always 
funds vision, right? So if God puts a real vision on a church, right, he will produce the resources that vision needs to accomplish what he wants for that church. So <clears throat> let me just break it down. Um, God does not need your money. The church does not need your money. God commands giving first and foremost, not because he has a need or because the church has a need, and I want you to hear me, because you and I have a need. You and I have a need. So let me break this down as clearly as I can for you. There are two forces at work in everyone in this room. There's the image of God in you. There's the fact that when God made humanity, whether you're a Christian or not, he is embedded in your DNA, an impulse to be generous, an impulse to give. And because God is the best giver on the planet, when you do this and you follow this God impulse in you, it results in happiness, okay? It's a good thing. And so this impulse is in everybody, but there's a competing impulse, which is sin. And sin inside of you loves to protect itself, and it protects itself through selfishness, greediness, stinginess, and hoarding, okay? Because this sin wants to live, and it knows that the more generous you are, the less power it has. And so here's what God knows. If you want to be happy, truly happy, you will figure out how to be generous with every part of your life. And sin inside of you and Satan understand that they can corrupt and destroy you by preventing generosity and producing in you hoarding and stinginess and greediness and it's mine and it's mine. And so there's a rhythm with each of these and the rhythm, if you're gonna live in the image of God, is this. It's really, really, really hard at first, but it produces long-term happiness. It's really hard um, because we have sin inside of us it is really hard when you have not been obeying God's word for a long period of time to change your trajectory and to actually begin obeying it. But when you do, it actually produces long-term happiness. Now, the rhythm of sin is this. It's a lot of fun at first. It's really fun. Hoarding and stinginess and greediness and accumulation and just keeping it for myself, it's a blast. But you are wired to be destroyed and devoured in your soul by it. And so here's what God, I just think, clearly understands. He doesn't want anything from you because he doesn't need anything from you. What he wants like a good dad is something for you. And he understands, and Jesus apparently agrees because he's God, um, that the greatest threat to our soul is the love of money. And because we live in Western America where money is just flowing, the poorest of you are wealthier than the majority of the entire world. And so because money flows in this country in a unique way, um, uh, second to nowhere else in, in, in history or on the planet right now, uh, because it's flowing, that there is, um, we'll just say, an ongoing threat to your soul that needs to be killed. And this is where God's word comes in and says, look, I'm not desperate. I'm trying to preserve you from being devoured by hoarding and stinginess and greediness and selfishness. Because you know what? Nobody likes a greedy, stingy, selfish, hoarding person, right? Right? How many of you love generous people who give their best for your benefit, right? That's, that's what we want. So let's, let's define the terms here. We'll start off with generous. And uh, very simply, gener generosity defined is the happy act of giving. You notice that we always put happy whenever we define these words, right? The curmudgeon act of giving. Now, the happy act of giving your first and your best for someone else's benefit with no expectation in return. So some of you have been taught by health and wealth or prosperity preachers that if you give more, God owes you more. 
Is that a New Testament principle for the church? The answer is say no, please. No. no. Um, what God promises you is this. When you play by his rules, he may or may not bless you financially. There's no expectation or obligation, but here's what he does promise you. Joy. He does promise that if you play in his rhythms, if you play by his rules, the result is happiness. And if you don't, you'll be temporarily happy, but you will have long-term misery because God has put this into the very rhythm and fabric of our world. So it's the happy act of giving your first and your best for someone else's benefit with no expectation of anything in return. I mean, leftovers are easy, right? Right? It's easy to give your leftovers. It's easy to give hand-me-downs. And that's great. You can give leftovers and hand-me-downs. But giving your first and giving your best is difficult. Let me illustrate. Commonly, twice a week, I'm in the following circumstance. There's awesome food in front of me. And there's a group of us. And it's get your own food. And I'm sitting there and everything in me says, go first, right? Every impulse inside of me is push away the little children, run up to the front, devour the food, get the best in the first in case you have to go to the back of the line, it's not there. And why don't you grab seconds while you're at it in case there's not enough room for anyone, anyone? Then, apparently it's chivalry to let girls go first. Do women not, <clears throat> you're, you're all like, is he gonna offend us? No, don't worry. <laughs> when you're hungry, when the girls go first, don't they seem to just take forever, dudes? right? It's like, speed it up. Come on, let's go. Like, like, come on, right? And I'm sitting here, and I'm like devouring my tongue, waiting for this thing to end. Anyways, so like, <clears throat> for me, like, this is a small, silly example, but where this selfishness just comes up inside of me, and then someone's like, <clears throat> Michael, you know, you're a guest. You can go first. I'm like, no, nah, I can't. Okay, cool. I'll go. It's fine, you know. Uh, just, you know, it comes out of me all the time, and this is a small example, but when it comes to our money and our possessions, our stuff and our time and our skills, like there's something inside of us that says hoard it, and yet there's something inside of us that also knows because the image of God is inside us that says no, give, and there's a battle, and we have to figure out how to overcome sin in this. So open up your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Um, we're going to be in one text of scripture this morning, and uh, I want to set the context for you. Um, there are a number of churches in this text that are interacting together, and you need to understand some of the dynamics that are going on here. And uh, so there are four major players, and the first major players in this are the Jerusalem Christians. It's a church in Jerusalem, and here's what you need to know about the church in Jerusalem. They are not just living paycheck to paycheck, they are living day to day. Um, most of you know paycheck to paycheck. Most of you don't know day to day. Will I have money for food tomorrow? Will I have money to pay for electricity? Will I have money to put gas in my car to get to work? Will I have money to get food for my kids to put it in their lunchbox? Because every time you spend money in one place, it's taking away from something vital in another place. And so I want you to understand that most of you have never experienced what the Jerusalem Christians are going through in this. Not only that, but they're experiencing an incredible amount of persecution. And not only that, there is a famine in the land that is affecting their entire economy. And everyone is struggling, but the church is getting at the worst because not only are they poor, but they're being persecuted and there's a famine on top of that. And some of you in this room, when we preach through this, you're gonna relate, honestly, to the Jerusalem Christians. You're gonna relate to this living um, day to day, not even paycheck to paycheck. 
And uh, I just want to encourage you in this sermon. I don't want to make you feel guilty or terrible. I really want you to hear about the grace of God and how it intervenes and intersects your life if you are the Jerusalem Christians. The second key player in this is the Apostle Paul. Um, If you don't know Paul, he's kind of like a traveling pastor that plants churches all over the place. And then after they're planted, he comes back to those churches and he encourages them. So if you have a New Testament book like like Ephesians or Philippians or Colossians or Corinthians, these are letters of Paul to these churches to continue to encourage them while he's gone. And so Paul loves the Jerusalem church. This Jerusalem church has planted a whole bunch of other churches, okay? And so Paul sees the plight in the Jerusalem church, and he is deeply, deeply concerned. And so Paul is what we call a connector, okay? Paul sees a need in one place, sees resources in another place, and he's somebody who like takes those resources and tries to meet needs. It's just what he does, okay? And so some of you can relate to Paul. Some of you, you see friends or family in your life who have a dire need. And then you see somebody in your life who has excess. And you go to the person with excess and you say, look, this person has a need. Could you privately, secretly, anonymously, would you just go meet this need? And those of you who are Pauls, you love making the connections. You love meeting the needs of people who are struggling by building these bridges. And that's what Paul does. He's a connector. He connects people with a lot of resources to the greatest needs. And I think these people are incredibly special. And I would love for everyone in this room to see the spirit of Paul and to begin to take this upon yourself connect people with resources to people who don't have it in a way that doesn't benefit you in any way, shape, or form. It's a beautiful thing. And so the third player in this is the Macedonian Christians. Macedonian is a region um, of, and basically it's the churches, I think, of Thessalonica, Philippi, and Berea. Three churches in this region called the Macedonian churches. And here's what you need to know about the Macedonian churches. They're not living day to day. They're living paycheck to paycheck. They are broke as a joke. Now they have a little bit, but they are broke, okay? Now, this is where I think um, many of you in this room, you're gonna be able to relate to the Macedonian's life, okay? You don't have a lot. You don't have a savings account. You're making it month to month or every two weeks to every two weeks. But you know what? You're better off than the church in Jerusalem, right? You're not living day to day. Your heat is paid. Your bills are paid. Like, you're struggling, right? You can't do a lot of extra, um, but you would be like the Macedonian Christians, And then finally, we have the Corinthian church, the Corinthian Christians. Um, This would be the typical American church. They're not being heavily persecuted. They have a lot of money. Um, They probably have more money than they need. They've got some mature Christians, some immature Christians, some fake Christians, some real Christians. I mean, it's it's like a typical church you'd find in America, but just 2,000 years ago. And what we find with the Corinthian church is that Paul came to them some while ago, and he said, look, Corinthians, like, you guys love the church in Jerusalem. Would you raise and collect an offering so that when I come to you, we can bring this money over to them and we can encourage them? Well, like any good intentioned person with a lot of money and they're really busy, they get distracted. So they started off strong and then they got kind of like lackadaisical as time went on. And so here's what's happening. Second Corinthians is a letter by Paul to the church in Corinth. In this chapter, he is writing to the Corinthians about a need. And the need is in what city? Jerusalem. And what he's gonna do is he's gonna talk about the offering that the Macedonians already gave. Now, who should give more money? the rich Corinthians or the paycheck-to-paycheck Macedonians? The answer is the rich Corinthians. But then something really, really weird happens in this process. And in your notes on number one, these are five declarations of generous givers. If you have a generous heart in you, you're gonna read these and you're gonna say in your soul, amen, bring it on, Pastor Mike, this is rocking. Okay, Uh, number one in your notes, both my desire and my ability to give is by God's 
grace. Here's what he says. We want you to know, brothers, Corinthian brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So I wanted to find the word grace. You're gonna see this word grace come up five or six times um, in 1 Corinthians chapter eight alone. And this, this word is really important because many of you are taught, which is true, that God's grace is God's uh, giving you the free gift of salvation in Jesus. And that is true. But the word is used differently here. So here, God's grace is their generous financial gift. So let's take this word grace, let's bring it down to its most simple common denominator. Grace, the way the New Testament uses this word, is any movement of God in a believer's life. It's any movement of God in your life, okay? It is undeserved. God does it for your good and it produces good things in you. And so here's what Paul says. I want you to know, Corinthians, there was this move of God in the Macedonian's life and I want you to know all about what has happened there. It says, I want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. And so a couple things we wanna make clear. Number one, the desire to give generously is because of the grace of God. It is because of a move of God. So if you don't hear much else, and if you've already shut out because you don't like pastors preaching on money, I want you to just hear me on this. I do not believe that I can um, change your heart and make you want to give. I do not have that power. The only person who has that power is God. My desire is not to guilt you, to manipulate you, or to coerce you, but it's to present the simple and clear truth of God's word, and then to allow the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. And so I have zero desire, zero desire, to guilt anybody in any way, shape, or form. My desire is simply this, my theology teaches that if you're gonna be generous, the desire to give is going to come from God. It's gonna come from him. He is gonna have to do a miracle. And then we also see that the ability to give is also from God. So this grace, and we're gonna watch all this unpack in this passage, but if you have any ability to be generous in any way, shape, or form, it comes from God. It is a part of the grace of God. It is a movement of God in your life. You were given the ability to make money, to accrue wealth, or to do whatever you did because God chose you and gave you that ability. He is in control, ultimately, of that. And so we step back, and the person who understands generosity gets this. Both my desire and my ability is a move of the grace of God. And so here's what we see. We, call it, we, we coin this term grace giving, okay? And I want to share with you just some of the one-on-one on grace giving. And so here's what Paul does. Paul's just going to talk about the Macedonians for a little bit, okay? And what he's trying to do is he's trying to inspire the Corinthians to be a little bit more than stingy, right? And he does this by talking about the broke Macedonians. And so in grace giving, it's called grace giving one-on-one. You'll see this in your notes. Um, and it's called grace giving because it's not guilt giving or manipulation giving or coercion giving. It's grace giving. It is giving that is motivated by God, and fundamentally, one-on-one, you got to get this, it is counterintuitive. So I want you to hear what Paul says. He says, for in a severe test of affliction, okay, the vast majority of you have never experienced a severe test of affliction. And what would you expect out of a severe test of, of affliction? Maximum hoarding and selfishness and complaining, correct? No, that's not what happens. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. Like, don't you feel like this is insane? Like, extreme poverty 
and abundance of joy should never be like in the same sentence describing the same person. And so here's what Paul's trying to do. He's trying to just unravel the Corinthian stinginess by showing them a different story. Here's what he goes on. He says, they have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So some, some of you are like, I, I am broke. Let me tell you, you're not as broke likely as the Macedonians. And what's interesting is that when the grace of God enters into your life and you experience poverty and affliction, something weird comes out. I call this the Macedonian equation. This is just kind of a fun little poverty plus affliction plus God's grace equals maximum giving. But you take out God's grace, poverty plus affliction minus God's grace equals maximum hoarding. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. I need it, I need to secure my future because my security is in my stuff. I can't give too much because then I might not have enough. I know your need is currently way more dire than mine, but I am the most important person in the equation right now. And so God's grace enters into this extreme poverty, the severe test of affliction, and then what happens? This is crazy. They're happy and they give way more than Paul even expected them to give. Number two on grace giving. Grace giving is not a law. Like some people want to know, Michael, tell me how much I should give. 10%. I don't know. The New Testament actually does not give clarity around a percentage, right? Those are more Old Testament principles that are creeping through. Um, so like we tell people all the time, I'm not gonna tell you how much to give because God might want you to give 80%. He might want you to give 10%. He might want you to give 30%. I'm not gonna restrict you and I'm gonna push you back to the Holy Spirit to have a conversation and say, where do you want us to be on this? And so here's what he says. They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. They gave way more than the 10%. Of their own accord. Were they manipulated? No. Were they guilted? No. Were they coerced? No. And they prayed. Jesus, what do you want me to give? What, what does this look like? What percentage? What do I even think in percentages? Is that too insulting to you? And a chapter later, in, in chapter 9, verse 7, Paul's still talking to them about this. And he says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Does that sound like God has put a percentage to it? No. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And so we tell people all the time, if you don't want to give, don't. We don't need the money. God doesn't need the money. Like, this is more for you. And there are needs that we have, and we'll tell you the needs. But at the end of the day, if God wants to meet those needs through this church, he will resource those. If you don't want to give, or if you feel coerced or manipulated or guilted into it, don't give. We believe that the Lord will meet every single need we have, and if you know you should give and don't and you resist, God will raise somebody else up who will meet the needs because God resources the vision that he gives a local church. And so we just step back and we say, pray about it. Like, I, it's not a law. In the old covenant, it was a law. Now, it's not a law. You need to go back to the Lord and just really go to town and pray and say, Lord, everything I have is yours anyways. What do you want me to do with this? Do I think in percentages? Do I think in another way? How do we do this? Number three. Grace givers are pumped. So this is for me, I'll just be honest, where I personally got pretty convicted. Here's what he says. The Macedonians were begging us earnestly for the favor 
uh, of taking part in the relief of the saints, the relief of the saints in Jerusalem. Okay, so how many of you have like, we come up to the church, we, we say, hey, we have a need. How many of you are like, can I give? Can I give? How much more can I give, right? Anything, anything, right? I'm pumped, right? So this is where personally I got convicted and I, I really just stepped back because I'm just a dude like many of you, half of you. I'm not a chick like half of you, but so I'm just a dude, okay? So I, I want to be able to sit here and be like, I want to be generous. But then God keeps raising the standards almost so that we know that nobody ever quite gets there, right? And he's like, okay, Michael, are you, are you eager? Like when an offering comes up, are you like, man, I can't wait to do this? Or are you just responding out of obedience? Which is good, don't get me wrong, like God loves obedience, but there are levels to this where I'm like, you know what? I honestly cannot think at the last time that I was begging earnestly to give to something. Just truthfully. And at this moment, I realized like, I might tithe, but I, but I have not yet touched aspects of generosity that I want to. And this is where the Lord personally just did a big work in me, but grace givers are pumped. Number four, grace givers go beyond money. He says this, and this, not as we expected, because what would you expect that the Macedonians would give a lot or a little? A little. This is not as we expected, but they gave themselves, and this is really important, first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. So what Paul wants the Corinthians to understand and wants you to understand is these poor people, literally poor, not pitiful, just poor, broke, severe tests of affliction, extreme poverty, that their giving of their finances was the overflow of them first giving their heart and their soul to Jesus Christ. That, that their giving of their time, their money, their heart, their resources, my home, my family, my kids, my job, whatever it is, all of their financial generosity was the overflow of first giving their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what we tell people is, if you're not a believer in Jesus, I don't expect you to have grace giving. What I need you to do is come to Jesus Christ and receive the greatest gift on the planet. Be a recipient of the standard of generosity, which is God giving his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for your sins. Give your life to Jesus first. And as a result of that, when the Holy Spirit and the grace of God intervene in your life, you will start to find not only that you begin to want to give, but as you grow more and more mature, you will start begging earnestly to give. Like that's crazy. And I, again, realize that, Michael, you know, you personally, me, have a long way to go on that. But they give beyond their money. So not only did the Macedonians give their life to the Lord and then above and beyond in their finances, then they came along and said, what can we do personally to help? They didn't wanna just write a check and then be done with it because they realized you can write a check and then check out. What they wanted to do is write a check and then to give their heart and their time because one of the most meaningful gifts that you can give is your actual body and using your gifts and your skills and your ability to be in person with somebody in a meaningful way. And so I love this. The Macedonian church is just so inspiring. And truthfully, we could be done and just walk away and say, be inspired by the Macedonians. But the, the reality is many of you are Corinthians. And so we need to hear the reality and the truth of what he shares with the Corinthians. Now, number two in your notes I love this one. I will urge my pastor to teach on giving generously. <laughs> um, any of you, right? Yeah, you're like, Michael, keep preaching on, on generosity. Keep preaching on giving, right? Verse six. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this 
act of grace. So here's what happened. The Corinthians started well. They heard about the need. Paul made the need known. And they said, yeah, we're going to meet the need. We're going to do something really great, right? And then time goes on, right? And then they lose their muster. They lose their steam. And so Paul says, okay, that was cute. I'm, gra- I'm glad that you guys jumped all in, okay? Life has happened. Busyness has taken over. But while you're fat and happy, your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem are dying and struggling. And they need you. So there's too much at stake for you to let go on autopilot and for you to just kind of let it go. And so what Paul does is he realizes like the need is too great. There's too much at stake to be haphazard about this. There's too much at stake in the church in Jerusalem. There's too much at stake in their hearts because again, the greatest enemy to your soul is gonna be stinginess and greeting and hoarding and selfishness. So I encourage you, urge me. I love this. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete this act of grace among you. Number three. I will personally seek to excel in the grace of generous giving. Then Paul says, look, Corinthians, you guys are good at so many things. Like literally, you are awesome at so many things. As you excel in everything, in faith, your ability to trust God is amazing in speech, the way you guys encourage each other and teach and sing and pray, it's awesome. Knowledge, your spiritual gifts, in all earnestness. And in our love for you, like not only are you excelling in these things, but like we love you. Like we just are passionate about you. We see what God is doing in your church and we're pumped for you. Here's what he says. As you're excelling in all these other things, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So here's the reality is we can start off strong and then wane in our commitment. And what God says is, no, 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 no. The needs out there and the need in here are far too great for you to wane in this commitment. You have to be faithful to it. So we say in Christian giving, and we talked about generosity, it's giving your first and your best for the benefit of somebody else without expectation of anything in return. Two caveats. Christian generosity is regular, not haphazard, and it's for God. It is regular, and it's for God. That's what sets it apart from just general good um, acts of generosity all around us. As Christians, we enter into this and we say this, we need to discipline ourselves to be generous because the battle of sin is so strong in us. And because so much money is floating all around this culture, it is a constant threat to our soul. So what we need to do is use the antidote, which is crazy generosity. It's giving our first and our best for the benefit of somebody else. And in the church, we do this regularly and we do this for, for God. And we go on to number four. Because Jesus gave me everything, I will generously give. So I want to just like draw for you the flow of what's happening with Paul and the Corinthians. So he says, all right, Corinthians, you started strong, you're not doing great. So let me just tell you about the Macedonians, right? To kind of inspire you a little bit. Okay, the Macedonians aren't enough, okay? Like, come on, guys, I'm sending Titus to you. Let's get this act going, right? Finally, he says, all right, if that isn't enough to compel you, let's just talk about Jesus for a moment. And here's this principle. If you don't get Jesus, you don't get generosity. And if you're not generous, you don't get Jesus. It's just that simple. He just kind of cuts to the core of it. And he's like, look, if y'all got what Jesus did for you, we wouldn't even be having this discussion. Okay, so here's what he says. For you know the grace, see this word keeps coming up, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
Yet for your sake, he became poor. And Paul, I think, would say, I'm not even asking you to become poor. I'm just asking you to give generously. Like, even your greatest act of generosity is pathetic in comparison to the act of generosity that has benefited your life eternally and personally, here and now and forever. And so he goes on and says, yet for your sake, he became poor. Why? So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Not financially, just FYI. This is not, like, the promise here is not financial rich, richness. It is you aren't going to hell. You have peace with God. You've been adopted into his family. He loves you unconditionally. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. All of your sins are forgiven. You have a new identity. You no longer need to fear man or death. You have a purpose in life and you will have maximum joy if you just try to obey God's word a little bit by the power of the Holy Spirit. Like pretty awesome generosity on God's part, right? Can I get an amen on that? And he's like, do you understand that apart from all that, like when you realize what God has done for you in Jesus, you should be chomping at the bit to give generously to meet the need of the saints in Jerusalem. Because the Macedonians get it. And you know what the difference between the Macedonians and the Corinthians are? The less money you have, the less sin through this gets a hold of your soul. They have less money to be obsessed about, so this doesn't hold their soul in the same way. Poor people trust God intuitively better than rich people. It's easier. Because every day you're still alive, you're like, wow, yep, God took care of me today, right? Where we believe we deserve it because we did it, because look what we did. And so there's, a, there's just a challenge here that we just have to understand if you're living at all um, above a po poverty level, here's what you need to know. It's gonna be harder for you than it is for those who are broke. So we go to, church, uh, go to Haiti every couple years as a church and they have infinitely less resources than we have. And you know what? Their faith is greater, their passion is greater, the distractions are less. It's a totally different experience. And we Western rich Americans, we go over and we are humbled by their joy despite their extreme poverty and their severe test of affliction. It's just something different about it changes everything. So we need to understand because we live in a world where resources are flowing around us constantly, the threat is that much greater and therefore the demand and the, the encouragement of God is to say that much more, if you're gonna kill stinginess and hoarding and selfishness, that much more we need to fight to excel in, in generosity. And then finally, number five, I will give generously to Jesus glorifying ministries. Go down to verse 19. I wanna just read this to you, and, and, and I love this because some of you, um, you've had really terrible experiences where churches have not handled your money well, pastors have done dumb things, um, stewardship committees have done ridiculous things, and I love when churches take godly men and women and they handle their resources in accountable public ways in a way that is above accusation and meets real tangible needs. And I want you to see that that problem that churches experience today, right? It was the same problem they had 2,000 years ago. And I love how Paul goes out of his way just to say, look, look, this is why it is okay to be generous to this mission. He says, but thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. And in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, you'll see this of his own accord come, of your own accord. Because what he wants you to know is that the generosity of Titus to give his life to go collect this offering, which is probably a year or two of his life possibly, this is of his own appeal because the Holy Spirit moved in him and gave him a desire to be generous, not just with his money, but his time and his whole life. And then he goes on, he says, with him, 
we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. Do you know who that is? I, I have no idea either, right? We don't know. I want to know who this person is. Like, I'm like, tell me the name. We don't know. Um, and not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out, hear the words, this act of grace. Just keeps coming up. That is being ministered by us. I love this. For the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. Here's their motivation. We want to bring as much glory to Jesus Christ and we want you to know our intentions are good. So they go out of their way to build processes and procedures and to put the kind of men in place that make sure that everybody knows that if you give generously to Paul, there is a system of accountability and this is being done for the glory of Jesus Christ. And if you sense that your giving is going for the glory of a man, then don't give to that. This is about the God-man, Jesus Christ. That is the aim, that is the objective. But then he goes on, he's not done yet, and he says, we take this course, we go through all of this protective measures so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we are sending our brothers. So there's more people now coming, more people, just so there's more accountability in this. And with them, we're sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but he was now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. I love this, that all of these people are pumped to go over to Corinth to correct the, collect this money and then with accountability, bring it back to the saints in Jerusalem. And as for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. Do you hear that? Like for your benefit. Does Paul get anything out of this offering? What's the answer? No. This is for their benefit, the Corinthians, and the benefit of the church in Jerusalem. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. I want to, I want to close, and um, a couple things I just want to share. Number one is... Um, the goal of this is not guilt. I understand there's, there's hypersensitivity around this and maybe I'm being overcompensating, but better to be that than to leave you wondering if that's the issue. Um, and if you have any hesitations about giving to Village Church of Barlet, come talk to me and I will give you the names and numbers of a number of local churches who are Christ-exalting churches and you can give to them. Because our desire is that the mission goes forward. And our desire also is that we are having sin killed in us because it is a powerful, powerful thing. So I'll close with a short story of what happened this morning. Uh, a woman comes up to me and says, nobody knew this, but we are about $400 short on meeting um, our bills this week. My husband and I didn't tell a single soul in the whole church. And uh, so we just said, you know what? It's, it's the Lord's money. He knows what he wants. It's our, he knows our, our issues. We're just gonna trust him with this. And uh, so she comes up to me and she says, somebody told me there's an envelope for me in the back. Keep in mind, nobody knows at all about this need in any way, shape, or form. And in the envelope, she just came up to me before the service and she said, there was $400 cash sitting in this envelope with my name on it that says, for everything you do, thank you. And the Lord is just orchestrating. And let me tell you about this, this, this couple. They are generous. I don't know how much they give financially. I know what they give with their life. I know they've given their life to the Lord and their time and their talents. Um, I know that. And uh, because I know them, I have full expectation that they give their best and their first for the glory of God and the benefit of other people and never have they asked for anything in return. And I love this, that the Lord knows their need and then somebody sees the need. They just see it or they prayed about it. And this is the benefit of going before the Lord is the Lord is gonna ask you to do things that you would otherwise never know if you just put a percentage in and said, that's what I'm gonna do. 
And so the Lord just met this person, whoever you may be, maybe you're here, maybe you're in the first service, maybe you're sleeping in this morning, I don't know, but like whoever you are, you went before the Lord and he put it on your heart and you literally reinvigorated someone's confidence in Jesus Christ and his provision over their family's life in a new way that will last for a long, long time. And that is one small example. And I'm guessing to that person, 400 bucks wasn't a big deal. And yet, this is how God works in a community. And so I just wanna encourage you, I'm telling you, it is way better to give than to receive. It is way better. Jesus was onto something. Oh, because he made us and he knows how we work. I wanna invite the ushers to come forward, not the ushers, the, yeah, the ushers and our worship team. And uh, we're gonna celebrate communion. And we're gonna celebrate the greatest act of generosity on the planet. So let's pray together. Father, we are selfish it's our nature, it's in us, but we don't wanna be. Uh, we are made in the image of God. We are made for so much more. We are made for generosity. We are made to experience joy from that. And so God, I just pray whether or not someone in this room is eight years old, 10 years old, 20 years old, or 80 years old, or 90. God, the battle for our soul wages on. Lord, our identity is secure in Christ. Our, our, our eternity is secure. But Lord, um, right now it is easy for us just to kind of be lackluster about this. And so God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would do what only you can do. There would be no guilt or manipulation or coercion, but there would simply be a movement of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. And Lord, for those of us who have become idolatrous, I just pray that you gently or forcefully do what you have to do because our desire is to be conformed to the image of Christ, even though in our worst moments we buck you. So God, we love you. And I wanna just say personally, on behalf of every Christian in this room, thank you for giving us Jesus and changing our entire eternity. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.